I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And Brett, this week, there's not so much, I think, news like we've had the last couple weeks with basketball commitments and different rule changes. But there is some noteworthy, I guess, announcements. Sean Miller, we'll start there with basketball. Sean Miller had a press conference with the media earlier in the week. We're recording on Wednesday, by the way. And there wasn't anything like, oh, my God, that came from it. But certainly interesting to hear the coach answer some questions. He talked about James Akinjo. He talked about Brandon Williams. talked about Azulis Taboulis. talked about this offseason, what it's like. I mean, there's a lot to talk about for Sean Miller. And I don't know which of those stories, if there was something else I didn't mention that jumped out at you. But it was certainly nice to hear from the head coach because, really, this is his first press conference since the, the Washington game, I think, the Pac-12 tournament. So, finally, Sean Miller speaks to the media. And he said things. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a lot, he said a lot of things, but I don't know if there was any any real news there, right? Like, right. It was kind of like, oh, Brandon Williams, uh, it's just, you know, we need coronavirus to go away for things to work themselves out. And, you know, able to talk about, uh, you know, Azulis Taboulis, as I, as I like to mispronounce properly. <laughs> um, you know, the comparison to Zeke Nagy is an intriguing one. And actually watching the film, I kind of understand where he's coming from. Because he's kind of got that active, you know, ability to, and creative ability to score. But, like, that's not really news. <laughs> uh, I think the thing that the media and some of the fans focus on the most was the uh, Jason Terry, you know, annou- like, official announcement and being able to kind of comment on the infamous tweet that was, you know, kind of made in the immediate aftermath of the ESPN story. Yeah, let's start there then, because last week we talked about the Jason Terry news that became official, and that was one of the questions, was that we all remember, if we don't remember, we certainly, it was brought up again when Jason Terry was the guy that a couple years ago when the ESPN story broke, I think it was the night of the Oregon game at Oregon, and there was like the erroneous report, among many erroneous reports that came out, it seems like, but that night Jason Terry fired off a tweet that said, quote, bear down, it's time to clean house and bring home our own bloodlines to carry on Lute's legacy. We have too much pride, too much tradition to allow outsiders to tear down what we built. Now, he tweeted that to a player's program, so people saw it. And, and that's a big deal when one of your biggest alums, one of the most notable players, is saying, essentially, you need to get rid of this coach. It's like, well, at the time, I'm sure a lot of people agreed with him. And that's basically what Sean Miller said, that it's like in that moment, there were a lot of people who care about the program, who were fired up, and it's, you know what, they've moved on. They've talked a lot since then, and obviously they each feel good enough about each other to decide to work together. But that was interesting because it was kind of, I don't think it was an underlying thing, but it was like, oh, Jason Terry, that's a really good hire, but do you remember that? <laughs> and now, again, Sean Miller hired Jason Terry. Jason Terry decided to go work for Sean Miller. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it was literally that night. So it was yeah, like, and uh, you know, Jason Terry's probably not necessarily privy to any information more than most of us were at the time. And when ESPN goes on the air and says he's being, he's been, Sean Miller's been fired and has this erroneous story and that erroneous being fired, like it's, it, I think it's one of those, maybe one of those uh, teachable moments to not. Uh, tweet in the moment of passion. Well, Terry was a fan at that point, and not just a fan like you and me, but he's an alum. He won a national championship, and obviously he wants to be a head coach probably at the University of Arizona some days. So when there's a lot of us who that night, even if you believed in Sean Miller, that night hurt 
when those stories were out there, you kind of wondered, well, maybe it is time to move on. Now, whether you were as fired up as Terry was or just kind of like, yeah, well, maybe this is just too much. If you weren't upset, and that's what Sean Miller said in the thing. He's like, it just shows the passion people have for Arizona basketball and Jason Terry included. So I think I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago or whenever it was the Jason Terry news came out the first time. Not that he was hired, but it was going to be the guy. It was that to me it shows really it shows well for both Terry and Miller that they put that behind them. That either they decide, you know what, maybe Terry's like, I'm sorry, man. Like now that I know more about what actually went down, I shouldn't have said that. Or Miller's like, hey, man, I understand why you felt the way you did. I'm glad we could explain this thing. But either way, if there was any beef there, if there was any problem between the two of them, clearly that hatchet's been buried. And it's one of those things where it's like for the betterment of the program. Like Terry wants to have a career in coaching, sure. And Arizona's a great place to get your first assistant coaching job. So there's nothing wrong with that for him. So he benefits from being on this staff. And Sean Miller has no problem. His ego doesn't say, you know what? I don't want this beloved Wildcat who two years ago was saying I need to be fired. Like, I don't want that guy on my staff, even if I think he'll make us better. So Miller to say, you know what, if he can make this program better, bring him in even with all that. Again, they talk this out and they're obviously fine with each other. But I think it speaks well for both of them that the most important thing is, is what's best for the University of Arizona basketball program. Yeah, and I think Sean, I, th- I think you're right. And I think Sean Miller said, you know, if you kind of parse the words he chose and I'm, I'm a person that believes that Sean Miller thinks about literally every word he says in the public sphere <laughs> and, and figures out how to maximize that for some kind of impact. You know, if it's to be believed, you know, I think he said we crossed that bridge a long, long time ago, which tells me that they probably buried the hatchet not long after that tweet went out. I mean, there's probably like a little bit of a cool off period when the yeah. story. You know, we, we don't know for certain what went on in the background. We can infer things, and it seems like all parties involved are not just, like, begrudgingly uh, coming together. Like, they're excited to have each other, it seems like. So, you know, good on both of them for being uh, bigger men and kind of talking it through. Yeah, yeah. So that is good news, the Jason Terry thing. And it's, you mentioned, like, this whole off season has been kind of – it's set for just – no one knows about a lot of different things. Another one of the big stories was Brandon Williams. And we've talked about him a couple of times on this show about, okay, the, the thought is that Williams will not be back next season, especially when Arizona got the Tubuli brothers. Tubulis brothers, the Tubuli. I'm going to try to make that a thing, by the way, the tubu, Tubuli. Go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try. I got time to work on things like that. But when they brought both of them over, Arizona had now 14 players on scholarship with only 13 scholarships available. So the natural thought was Brandon Williams was the odd man out. And Miller didn't say anything. He didn't say that that wasn't going to be the case, but he also didn't make it sound like Williams was already out the door. And Arizona has time to figure things out. But when Miller was asked about Williams, he basically said that he's working his way back, but that the coronavirus stuff has prevented him from seeing the doctors and working on the rehab program just to even see where he's at right now. Could he get cleared to play? So there's a lot of waiting there. It's unfortunate, but I still have to believe that Brandon Williams will not be part of the team next season. Yeah, I agree. Um, like we've talked about in the past, I think the writing's on the wall. Uh, and, and like you wrote on AZ Desert Swarm in that article, I think it's honestly in his probably best interest. You know, go make that money while you can. And the the Tabulis brothers. Uh, you know, I think I think what if the plural of Tabulis is Tabulis? Oh no, one of those things. And and then or and like secondary definition, what do you call a pair of European freshmen? A Tabulis. <laughs> <laughs> Tabulis maybe. Uh, maybe. If the plural of moose is meese, then the plural of tubulis is tubulis. Maybe. Yeah. Like analysis and analyses. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it doesn't take a lot of reading the tea leaves to, to know that Brandon Williams and Sean Miller and the staff and the families and everyone involved is probably already, they all probably have a pretty clear sense of what the best options are for him and where it's going. I think there's still a little bit of uncertainty for the things we talked about in the past podcast in terms of where is he going to get that opportunity to prove his, his health. But, you know, I stranger things have happened, but I, I think he's gone. And, I, and I don't, I'm not as worried about the roster as I would have been two months ago if I, you would have told me that we don't even have an 80% Brandon Williams. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things that's 
talked about and not necessarily really news this week, but you know, it's it's, it's a little bit, it's a little more insight. Yeah, the story advanced a little bit in that way because Miller. The last time this was a story was because Miller didn't say anything about Brandon Williams. He was asked about the roster, and he didn't mention Brandon Williams at all. And then within a week, Brandon Williams is saying he's going to play next year. It's just a matter of when. This is the first time Miller even addressed Williams by name. And it certainly doesn't sound like there's any ill will or animosity there. It just sounds like there's a lot of they want what's best for Brandon Williams, and they'd love to have him with the program right now this summer rehabbing and just going through the strength and all that and trying to work his way back on the court because I guess if – if he had been, part, if there had been an off season and he had been in, on the campus and working his way back, and they've been able to keep tabs on him, they might know by now if he's on track to being able to play. In which case, their entire off season strategy may have been a little different. You know, maybe they don't go get two more recruits when they have one scholarship available, right? Like they don't do that if they think they're going to have Brandon Williams. So they've kind of had to go this entire off season. And you can see with the guards that they acquired too. When you get Terrell Brown, when you bring in James Akinjo, when you get Kirk Krisa, like you're basically saying, and you already have Jamal Baker on your roster, you're basically saying, yeah, we don't have another guard that we can rely on. And I think I mean, that's a smart thing they had to do. Like as much as they might, I'm sure they love Brandon Williams. I, I think we all do. We're big fans of his. But you couldn't count on him, and hopefully, for his sake, he proves every doubter wrong and is able to not only play next season but be effective and go on to have a nice, long basketball career. But if you're Arizona, you can't expect that, and clearly Arizona – I don't want to say clearly. That's the wrong way, but it looks like Arizona is not expecting Brandon Williams to be part of the team next season, which is fine. Yeah, and you know, like I said a couple minutes ago, I think Sean Miller chooses his words very carefully in a few weeks back when he deliberately, that was the only player not mentioned, was for a reason. Yeah. And I think, you know, they're, they're waiting for things to play out. Uh, and then, you know, like the Euro guys, I, the Tabuli, the Tabulis, Tabulis, Tabuli. Uh, there you go. It, it wasn't... It, you know, it wasn't necessarily a sure thing, and I think that they were maybe leaving the door cracked open. But like, I think, I think all parties had already probably ninety-eight percent moved on. Yeah. Um, and you know, I if that's where it goes. I certainly don't. Uh, I wish Brandon Williams the best. And, you know, I told you I think on this podcast a couple months ago, my my nieces were lucky enough to go sit behind the bench one game, and Brandon Williams gave my niece a like a, a shirt. So that was made her day. <laughs> so, you know, he'll have a special place in my heart just for treating my niece so nicely. Yeah. And part of the reason why Arizona could be fine without Brandon Williams, of course, is James Akinjo. Miller did say they're looking into it like a lot of programs are with transfers to whether or not Akinjo will be eligible to play in non-conference play. Will it be a second semester type of thing? And to the extent, I mean, that's an important decision. Last year, Arizona got lucky with Jamal Baker being eligible to play at all. He didn't have to sit out like a traditional transfer. So you wonder if Arizona's good luck in that market will continue. Akinjo played in, what, seven games for Georgetown last season. He didn't play the entire first you know, non-conference slate, but he did play some. And you do wonder what the NCAA is going to do in regards to James Akinjo. It's, it's a big decision because he's an experienced point guard who would come in, and he'd, he'd be their starting point guard from the first game on, I would assume. There is some depth now behind him with Chris, uh, with Jamal Baker, with Terrell Brown, players who can run the point. But, of course, they'd rather have James Akinjo be the guy from game one. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's again, there wasn't really news, but I think the thing to think about, you know, my expectation is kind of that they'll give him the waiver, especially in the coronavirus time, just, like, why try to penalize these kids? Um, you know, I... I I think the bigger ripple effect is going to be whatever the NCAA decides how, you know, because I could talk myself into it being better to get some of the new guys more minutes early on and you have a new thing, a sure, a sure thing coming in later, but then also does that mess up whatever kind of momentum and chemistry they build on the offensive end when you add another guy to there, you know, there's, you know, James Akinjo is coming in probably playing 30 minutes a game, right? Um, So there's only you know 200 minutes available in a, in a game on the on the court right mm-hmm. so it's gonna, i think i think arizona is prepared for whatever the whatever permutation happens with that the ncaa ruling but a far more fascinating thing to me is and probably end up more impactful for what happens on the court is how that plays out with the development of players the team chemistry 
And, you know, I could talk myself into it being a good thing that you get those minutes for the guys early, or I could see it as a bad thing where you bring somebody in late. And yeah. I don't, think there's, I don't think there's a bad case of having James Akinjo all season long. But no, no, and that's the thing. For a guy, if he's going to be your starting point guard, and probably I, he might be set up to be their leading scorer, just like their go-to guy, then to just drop him into the lineup halfway through, it's kind of like um, a few years ago when Alonzo Trier came back midseason. And that Arizona team ended up making the Sweet 16, lost in the Elite Eight a game they had no, or Sweet 16 lost to Xavier they should not have. But it was weird because like Arizona had built up all this momentum. Guys had their roles. Kobe Simmons was a freshman. He was playing a lot. Raleigh Alkins was playing a lot. Then Alonzo Trier comes in, and now it's like, well, there's a go-to player, and it changes the dynamic of your team. Does it make, did it make them worse? I don't know. Trier was pretty good when he came back, but certainly the team that existed prior to his return was different than the team that existed after. And that would be the same for Akinjo, especially as a point guard. Now, maybe he sits out the non-conference, and, and Chris is great. You know, he's ready to go as a true freshman coming over. Or Terrell Brown shows that as a combo guard, he can do it. Or Jamal Baker is now 100% healthy, and you have the Jamal Baker that Arizona thought they were going to have last season. Like, it's possible, and you wouldn't be upset about that, but at the same time, when Akinjo would come back, it would change the team. And now you have to have, well, from January on, the early parts of your conference schedule, you're almost reintroducing him to the lineup and building a new, like you said, everybody kind of gets in a rhythm, gets understands how to play with each other. He's going to have to do that all over again. So I, they're better off with him, I think, to start the season. But obviously, it, we don't know. And the NCAA drags their feet on everything. So <laughs> it could be, and there's really no rush right now. It's, you know, June. So Arizona, and there's not like these guys are on campus. And even if they were, he would be able to practice. He's with the program. So it doesn't change. I think Miller did say that they think it might be till the fall when they find out about a show, you know, which is whatever. He's going to practice as if he's going to play probably. And then they'll just they'll find out whenever they do if he's eligible or not. But they'd be better off with him, I'll say. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting you brought up the Trier comparison because if you recall, Kobe Simmons was really coming into his own mm-hmm. that season as a freshman started to have a couple big games and then Trier came back and he was the one that was definitely you know whether it was mental thing getting fewer minutes or just off ball more because Trier is kind of a ball hog <laughs> um, you know I think that stifled his development it was you know it's hard to say that they were not a better team with Alonzo Trier because Alonzo Trier is a great player but it, I think it impacted Kobe Simmons more than anybody. Oh, they were a different team and uh the way they'd built their roster, the way they had played through the first part of the season, and they were good, too, with those guys. And Kobe Simmons was a big part of that. But something has to give. Well, like you said, like Akinjo's going to play, what, 30 minutes a game probably? And there's only 200 minutes of action, of court time. So now you're bringing in a guy who plays that much to a team that already had their roles filled out. You know, By that point of the season, you're hoping to have your role players know what's expected of them. They know how many minutes they're going to get. And there's that rapport with everyone. Because basketball, you know that. You've played at a fairly, or at least a higher level than I've ever played. But there's so much flow to it being on that court together where you need to trust that people are going to be where they're supposed to be and you kind of learn to play with each other with their strengths and weaknesses and all that. And you drop a guy like a Kinjo in the middle of that, it could mess things. And now maybe it's like a jolt. It's like where they get to that point. It's like, oh, now they have this guy. That's the one thing they've been missing was that bulldog point card. You know, it's possible. But because he's, he's not Alonzo Trier, but he could have that type of impact as a guy who you put the ball in his hand and go to work. He leads your offense. He initiates things. So in that regard, it might be a really good comparison of the fact that Trier had kind of proven himself the season before and Akinja we haven't seen as a Wildcat yet. But other than that, like it's, it's a big change when someone that important gets dropped into the middle of your team just like that. Yeah. And I think the difference between Trier and Akinjo, well, there's a couple subtle but significant ones in my mind. Trier was definitely trying to showcase himself to the NBA. I'm not sure Akinjo has that same mindset because I don't, bluntly, I think he's too short to get that long of a look from the NBA. So, you know, I, like he's not, he's not somebody that's likely going to leave early, in my mind. Um, and the other thing is, I think this upcoming Wildcats roster, and we've talked about it a little bit, is... Most of the guys on the roster are intriguing, but they also have you could you could pretty clearly see what their role is, and not not necessarily any of them are trying to be the showcase for the NBA guy. Um, maybe maybe Tabulus uh, or Tabellus Tabulus. Um, 
you know, it's a so it's a little bit different because Akinjo is the guy that's like the scoring point guard, and maybe he's most comparable in skill set to Terrell Brown because he was kind of asked right. to do that in Seattle, right? So maybe there's ways that Sean Miller can kind of, you know, have Terrell Brown still fill that offense role on the court, maintain that, but it'll, maybe it'll be have him be in the starting lineup because it'll be a similar player to to have everybody stay in their same roles, even if he's not necessarily the top one of the top five guys on the team at that moment. That could be. So there, there's, like I said, there's interesting ways of looking at it, and we'll we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, and it may be a moot point. They may decide right off the bat that he's eligible to play from game one. It's like, well, now you, there you go. <laughs> but that's what happens this offseason, and that's where, like, obviously the sports stuff is low on the priority list when there's a global pandemic. But what this has done is it's put so many things that everyone's used to, these schedules that every program is on, that every league is on, it's been thrown away. We see what the NBA is trying to do to restart their season for whatever their playoff. Baseball is talking about trying to fit a season. Like everything, like these are all seasonal things, and this season's just been thrown for a loop. So a lot of these decisions that we either know about or feel like we're closer to knowing about, certainly there could be ways off. And it's no one's fault. But, but if you're Arizona, you have to plan for things. You have to plan to not have Brandon Williams. You might have to plan to not have James Akinjo. Like, you have to do the worst-case scenario because you can't be caught without the right players in those spots. You know, because you can't be like, oh, well, those are our two point guards, and all of a sudden NCAA is like, well, Akinjo's not eligible for the first part of the semester, or the first semester, and Brandon Williams is hurt. It's like, well, shoot, now there's no point guards. Like, you have to plan as if you won't have them. And whereas we believe that they will not have Brandon Williams by it's a mutual decision, like I am, fair, I do believe they'll have a Kinjo. That just, I mean, that seems like what the NCAA will do. Like they've been pretty good, I feel like lately about not screwing guys over just because of like those little things. I mean, shoot, they just announced today that ASU's punter to change sports, who Turk, who declared for the draft, went through the combine, went undrafted, can go back to college now and have two years of eligibility because of the coronavirus pandemic. Like so, the rules are kind of changing, and for the better. Uh, guys should be allowed to play, but I guess until we know, we don't exactly know. Um, another thing, I guess, not really news, but it did come out. Dalen Terry talked about his goals, and he mentioned one of them was to be a one-and-done player. I mean, hey, if it happens, like if he <laughs> Arizona's had guys who weren't didn't put up great freshman seasons leave, but if he could be one of those guys who puts up a really good freshman season and leaves, well, that's fine. That's how this stuff works. I mean, I'm on the record as saying one of him or – Ben Mathurin is, is probably going to be a one and done. I don't know if both of them can be because I think I think they're not going to have enough minutes necessarily. But I think one of them is the those and Azulis, the the, the better brother, <laughs> and one of those two guys on the wing, in my mind, are the most likely uh, one and done candidates. And I think at least two of those three are probably one and one and done. Oh. To, to Terry's credit, he did say he, his goals were to win a national championship and become a one-and-done prospect. So it was only, it's not like his only goal was to be in Tucson for one season. But, you know, you mentioned, like, Taboulis. Like, one of the things that kind of I hadn't thought about, we're all looking at this team, and Terry, I guess, could be part of that, where we've, we've talked about how it's like maybe this is a team that will be together for a couple of seasons. You know, how many, how many scholarships that might they be trying to fill next season? Like one, you know, or two, Ira Lee and Terrell Brown, right? That's how we're looking at this team. But there's certainly like, yeah, there may not be a surefire one and done, but there is that thought, too. And I forget where I heard this. I think it was on another podcast. It might have been the Wildcaster podcast, but I think Bruce Pascoe mentioned it. I think, yeah, that's Pascoe's one. And he said, like, a lot of these European guys, they can always decide, too, just to go back home and play and play pro. Like, they can play pro whenever they want. You know, they're at college for as long as they want to be. And the second they don't want to be in college anymore, they go back home and make some money. So guys aren't guaranteed to be there for three, four seasons just because they're coming over from Europe. In fact, it might be even more tenuous in a way because they already know what they can make. They already know what team they'd be a part of and all that stuff. I mean, I think they already, these guys already were playing professionally in Europe. Yeah, but they could go, they could turn, just, they could leave college at any time. And I guess part of the thought, too, was like if the season doesn't go the way people want to or doesn't get started the way they think it's going to be and there's this delay, they might just say, well, you know, I signed a letter of intent, but you know, I'm just going to go back home and play and make some money playing basketball there if college isn't going to be a thing. So the, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's no guarantee. As much as there's, there's not that number, you know, top 10 recruit in this class, super five-star guy that you say, yep, that's an NBA player next season. There's no guarantees that any of these guys are back next year. You could probably look at the roster and say who's most likely to be back. 
but there's always going to be there's going to be options for these guys because they're talented and they're going to be teams who pay money who will want them. Yeah, I I, I think I was on the record. I think it's going to be a four man class next year, and I think two to three guys to the NBA, and then you know maybe one to Europe and one to transfer. Right? Like yeah. So, so that that's that. <laughs> and they're talking. I think Miller did say they're looking at maybe getting guys on campus sometime this month in June now. But obviously, everything's kind of wait and see. Didn't mention that having Robert Robbins being like a cardiovascular surgeon has a little bit of a different medical opinion on what's going on and adds a little bit of confidence to what Arizona's trying to do to get guys back on campus. And of course, it's that's just Miller saying good things about the school president. Probably not a bad idea to compliment the school president, but. <laughs> Everything is just up in the air right now. And other, the only thing that's not up in the air is, like, this is the roster. The players that Arizona has on their roster that they've got committed, signed their letters of intent, that's who they have. The recruiting class is done. And these are the guys that, if everything goes according to plan, will be suiting up for Arizona next season. So no more recruiting news. <laughs> that, that, that's done for this class. Arizona's in on some guys for next year. A lot of five-stars are seeing those names again. And uh, Jason Terry might be helping with some of those guys, too. But basketball recruiting is officially finished. So, yeah, sorry if you wanted more news there for this season. Working on next season. Yeah, that's what they're, <laughs> they're always working on next season. Um, as we've been doing the last few weeks, we're going to talk about some Arizona football by way of their depth chart. And we'll get to that right after this break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, and like we're saying, Brett, Arizona football, we've gone over some position groups the last couple of weeks, and it feels like the way we're talking about them is that Arizona might be a little bit better than many are expecting, and maybe that's just because we're fans, we want them to be better, but I also don't feel like we're, we don't have to stretch too hard to talk ourselves into improvement from this team, and the position groups we're going to talk about today, offensive line and the running back rooms, I think those are two of the stronger groups for this team, just in terms of at least the starters. There's guys that you can almost count on, whereas some positions like, well, there's hope to get better. There's some proven production, proven quality in these groups, which is why I'm fairly optimistic. You know, let's talk about the offensive line first, because if the offensive line is good, the running backs will probably be good. But it all like it's football it starts up front. Yeah, so I think, you know, the recurring theme of, uh, of our you know, maybe Homerish takes of optim- like guarded optimism for the season is kind of reflected in the offensive line in that we talk a lot about how there's a little bit more depth than we feel like there was even a few years ago. And I think the O-line is a good example of that because Lord knows for it feels like forever. Uh, you know, we, we seem, we've been blessed with good O-line coaches the last several years, it seems like, even when there was changes and they got the most out of guys and developed them fairly well. But at the end of the day, if you had no depth, you know, I think, was it, which game was it we had two linemen? Get the Oregon home? State game homecoming. Oh, yes. Like in the red zone. <laughs> One guy fell into two others. Yeah. Metaphor for the season. Pretty um, much. You know, and so, like, the, I've, I've talked about it in the past where I, I actually think that depth is almost more important than your frontline starters to have actual success as a college football program. And I think this year's O-line roster, as it stands, you know, actually has enough depth there, maybe not star power, 
but there's some depth there that you feel comfortable that even when there's the inevitable injuries, you can roll out some guys there that can be effective. Uh, and what I is star it. power, too? Like, there's guys who will get drafted in the first round or guys. I mean, obviously, I know there's really good offensive linemen out there. And even though if Arizona doesn't have them, but still, when is the last time Arizona had guys you look to say that's a superstar offensive lineman? And yet, how many years now has Arizona been among the leaders in running yards, offense, and all those things that you would normally judge an offensive line by? So star power might be, it, of all positions, it's probably the most overrated at offensive line. I think. And, and I, I think that's true, but I think that's largely because it is the hardest position, may, maybe with, combined with defensive linemen, like to project, right? Because yeah. basically, a lot of the guys that dominated in high school were just, you know, the guys that developed earlier were just big athletic guys, and they never had to learn technique. I think Arizona's had a lot of success over the years with getting guys that are, you know, maybe not four or five star guys, but, you know, even down to two three-star guys like Donovan Lay was not that highly recruited coming out of high school. Very quickly, he established himself as a true freshman, and now you know he's the guy that's considered the most you know the most NFL upside on the roster. Right, he's mm-hmm. into his junior year, almost guaranteed to be a starter, probably at one of the tackle spots. But you know, with the, you know, right behind him on, in the tackle, you know, it, to, for a starting tackle job job is uh, Jordan Morgan, a kid out of Marana, that. USC came in with a fairly highly touted recruit. Yeah, well, I I mean, this is where there's a difference between stars and who is offering and when they're doing the updates, right? Because I'm pretty sure Jordan Morgan was like a two-star recruit, but when USC offers, people notice, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, He bumps up to a four-star then. (laughs) Committed to them. Then it really goes up. And I I mean, it's because some of those big programs, you know, they're not not dummies. they're also not dummies in the sense of they'll let the Boise States and the Arizonas of the world do some of the digging and then, you know, come in late and say, well, you know, you know, I'm USC, right? Yeah. Um, so I think there's those two guys might have some of the highest uh, the highest upside in terms of the NFL prospects of anybody on the roster, which is an intriguing thing. Uh, and I just looked it up. Jordan Morgan, I think, was a three star in two four seven, but a Eighty-three rating, so not like, not a world world beater type star. Rating. A lot of guys look at the size, right? And Morgan's what, like six seven, two eighty something. He's a he's a he's a big kid. Coming out of high school, he was listed at six five, two seventy. But I also never believe those listings because <laughs> people grow, people inflate their numbers. Uh, I know my high school coach had me be like three inches taller and forty pounds heavier than I actually was in the program. <laughs> Yeah, like six five two eighty seven thing that I'm looking at. So I got my sevens mixed up, but but he's a big kid, and you project that these guys when they grow and fill out will be good players, right? And offensive line is so much about scheme too. If you have the right yeah. scheme and good guys around you, it works. And there's and there's you, there's somewhat unique skills required, for especially like offensive tackles, right? Where you need to be fairly athletic, but athletic in the sense of balance and kind of punch with your hands and ability to kind of move in ways that are not natural mm-hmm. as opposed to some of the you know the interior linemen maybe you can just you can get the guys that are just road graders you know ideally they can do some poles and do some zone blocking schemes but you need you need those feet that ability to punch yeah. when you mentioned but like we're talking about jordan morgan is like the he's predicted to be the backup for donovan lay and it's I, early right we haven't I, there hasn't been camp we don't know for sure yeah i mean i don't think there's any chance those two guys aren't starting if they're both healthy okay to be honest um and then I think you have uh, Peyton Fears is probably one of, if he's not starting, he's like the guy that can be swinging between the tackle spots, also could probably play guard. I know there's been some even talk, or I've seen rumblings of like moving lay inside the guard and had seen him he could be even more dominant in that kind of position where he can use his athleticism, which is kind of intriguing. But then you start looking at the depth chart, you got, you know, Josh McCauley, who's basically written in ink as the starting center who mm-hmm. worked his way from a walk-on to a guy that's like a pretty you know solid offensive lineman all around yeah um you got robert congle the a&m transfer who's a redshirt junior who got a lot of playing time last year he's you know does he start at guard is he your backup at all the three interior spots where does peyton fears go uh you still have josh donovan who was another juco guy that came with 
Peyton Pierce as a as probably a guard. Is he a starter? I know he got some snaps, I think, um, but I don't think he. I think he ended up redshirting. Um, so he's a redshirt junior, I believe. You know, he was fairly touted as a JUCO transfer. Mm-hmm. So you know, you have you have these options, and that's not even going into some of the some of the young guys. Uh, there's also just to go through some of the other guys on the roster. There's Stephen Bailey, the redshirt senior. He's he got some snaps last year. He's he's your definition. Of the backup in my mind mm-hmm. um, and I think you know you're probably starting you know you're starting five you're probably playing eight and you're hoping to develop nine and ten and beyond right and nine and ten I think in an ideal world Stephen Bailey is nine because they don't necessarily want to play him but they can play him and he can fill you could in. do worse as a backup but you could also do better much better as a starter yeah and I think I think David Watson Richard sophomore kind of fits in that kind of that kind of he's going to be a career backup, um, in my mind. Edgar Barola came on in the last couple of years, a redshirt junior, and he's played fairly well. And I mm-hmm. think he got a lot of starts even at tackle. And so there's another person that that you know can, I think he could probably play guard or tackle as well and fairly competently. In the recruiting class, they brought in a lot of linemen in this year's recruiting class. Yeah, I had to I had to go through and find all the the late ads and the transfers and. There's JUCO transfer uh, Sam Lange, I believe is how it's pronounced. Josh Baker, who's probably going to be the successor to Josh McCauley. Uh, fairly well-regarded, you know, not highly rated, but well-regarded center uh, O-lineman prospect. Woody Jean was, I believe, a tackle in, in high school. Uh, you know, this guy who's got some athleticism and upside. You know, I think these are the guys, most of these guys are bound to, to, to red shirts because we have, you know, we're going through all those guys. Like, we're already talking 9, 10 deep. And this, that's a good thing, though. And you look yeah. at the guys you're talking about, the guys who are on the roster, sophomore, redshirt junior, you know, guys who have playing time ahead of them. They still have more years of eligibility. And that's, you know, we were talking the basketball team, guys got to feel for playing with each other. Well, offensive line of any position in football, like when guys, when offensive lines stay together and play like every snap all season long, even if they're not the most talented lines, they um, amazingly seem to do better. It's, it's like they, they work together. They work in concert with each other. And last season when Arizona, like when Arizona, they've had good offensive lines, not because they've had amazing talent, NFL talent, but because they've had good enough players with a good scheme and they've stayed healthy. Last season even, the offense was fine up until the guys started getting hurt. When Congle got hurt, when Holly got hurt, and they started losing those guys, then the offensive line and the offense just fell apart. It's, you know, just subbing guys in. And it's not just because their backups were terrible, but because they're not used to playing with each other. So... Don't yeah. underestimate having a senior center that's making the calls on zone blocking schemes at the line. Uh, you know, he can kind of help set the tone, and that experience is you know, invaluable. And so, you know, I, the way I look at the and, oh, just to finish off the depth chart, you know, Jamari Williams, I actually really like that kid. He redshirted last year. He's probably a guard long term. You know, he he's eligible to play this year after redshirting. I still don't think he's going to see the field very much because I think there's a lot of guys in front of him. And I actually really kind of believe in that he has some reasonable potential. Uh, and then, you know, Anthony Pat and Leif Magnuson, I think, were the other scholarship uh, freshmen coming in. I am actually really intrigued at Leif Magnuson. Well, his name uh, alone is, he is great. He, his, his name is top-notch. He's Canadian. He looks like somebody that would be named Leaf Magnuson. He's big. What? Listen, six four two seventy. Yeah, and I, I think that might that two seventy might even be light. Um, and then I think that I believe they also had Matthew Stefanski, who is a preferred walk-on D two transfer, which is kind of like a wild card there. But you know, I, I feel like that's more again more just depth. But you know, you can never have enough depth. This is the Arizona Wildcats have learned over the years. So when I look at this unit, you know, I feel pretty good about it the challenge i think is going to be who are your starters and then who are those six seven eight guys and how do they how do they distribute snaps in the depth chart right like Peyton beers i think split time with barola at right tackle almost 50 50 last year um i think the only guys guaranteed to start are donovan lay uh josh mccauley and um, jordan morgan and then i think you've got Barola, Congle, Donovan, Peyton Fears, all fighting for three spots, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's not even counting Stephen Bailey as probably one of those, you know, that 8-9 guy. Maybe he plays at center. 
you know, I think there's a lot depends on if Josh McCauley goes down. Do you want to let uh, Josh Baker get some, you know, play four games and still preserve his red shirt, like get him some experience? You know, if I think it's almost like analogous to the quarterback situation. I think if Josh McCauley has a season-ending injury in week two, I bet they burn Josh Baker's red shirt. Um, but you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and also, they can play what four games and not lose their red shirt too. So these guys will get snaps, but ideally, they're not relied on this season. Yeah, it, and I think I mean, and I think that's like Jamari Williams. Like he already bur- he already had a red shirt year, but they they probably want to try to find ways to get him snaps if he earns it, right? Um, but who are you going to bench to to go, have him go in there? I don't think he's playing <laughs> center, and I don't think he's playing tackle, so he's taking one of the guard spots. You know, I think you prop my my highest likelihood. Man, I it's that I'm I'm somewhat intrigued at the Donovan Lay moving to guard, and then you can have Peyton Pierce and Barola at at right tackle and Jordan Morgan at left tackle, and you put Lay and Jordan Morgan left side, and you can do a lot, a lot of beef. You can do a lot of things with that, right? Um, and it, it, that's a lot of beef that's athletic, and you can do some really intriguing zone schemes and you throw in the tight ends that we already talked about that are, you know should ostensibly be good blockers you know there's there's some there's some intriguing options there it's just a matter of how does it fit together you know i think they probably i i kind of like that idea and then maybe put Congo at right guard um and then he could spell mccauley at center but then you know and then maybe josh donovan is filling in quarter of the snaps at one of the guard spots when those guys get injured or need a break. And I think that's probably your, your general lineup most of the time. Uh, and that, you know, if you, if your best, your highest touted NFL potential O lineman, you're moving to guard because you have an even more <laughs> athletic tackle that can take his spot. And you've got competent guys at right tackle. Uh, and I think Donovan Lay's NFL career is probably going to be at guard. So there maybe makes some sense to do that. Because um, as athletic as he is, I don't think he has that quite that same kind of lanky athleticism like Jordan Morgan has in terms of potential. But you know, if you if you look at that up and down, you know you could see you need some of the guys to perform to their potential. And I don't necessarily know if there's superstars in the bunch, but you can see this being a really effective unit. Yeah, and more than that, even what you will see is an offensive line that l- looks like an offensive line. And whereas the Rich Rodriguez team was supposed to be you know, super fast and didn't mind having a smaller line. I mean, not to say Arizona always had smaller guys, but certainly you look at the recruiting classes and the guys that this coaching staff is bringing in, they're 6'4", 280, you know, 6'5", 270. Just they're big offensive linemen. And just because you're a big lineman doesn't mean you're going to be good. But when you look at the next level at the NFL – the best linemen are, there's a, there is a lineman size for guards, for centers, for tackles, and there's a starting to acquire and add more guys who fit that mold. So that's just a style thing that you're going to start seeing, I think. Like Kyle Devan, the coach, the offensive line coach, seems to be doing a pretty good job. And Arizona's bringing the type of talent that could develop into very good offensive linemen. And between the guys that they have that were on the roster who played last season who are going to probably be relied on this year and then the freshman they're bringing in who you say yeah there's some intriguing talent there if they can red shirt get a few snaps here and be the offensive line of the future you're starting to see that depth that Arizona absolutely has shown they needed offensive line because again last season their offense was pretty good until their entire their line got decimated and then they couldn't move the football and <laughs> you can't afford to have that happen you know it's people say games are won and lost in the trenches and absolutely offensive line is huge and for this team going forward with Grant Cano is more of a passing pocket quarterback with good receivers, but he's going to need some time. He's not as mobile as Khalil Tate. He'll need to be protected. And also the running backs, and that's my segue. I segued myself into this part, the discussion. The running backs, they lose J.J. Taylor, who was the most experienced running back they had. But when I look at this depth chart for running backs, if this offensive line can be solid, they're going to run the ball really well this season. You know, you look at Gary Brightwell, he is the leader in the clouds to be the number one back, but this also doesn't set up to be a team that's going to have a workhorse type of running back. You know, Gary Brightwell, he had 390 yards and five touchdowns last season in the reserve role. He's not going to all of a sudden get 250 carries this season. That's not going to be how Arizona does it, but Brightwell should be the lead guy. He's fast. We've seen that. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's big enough. Like, he looks the part of a number one running back. 
then you have Nathan Tilford, who was their short yardage big back last season. He's, he returns. He had four touchdowns last season, and his role also averaged 6.2 yards a carry for out of nowhere. Uh, you have Bam Smith, Michael Wiley, who was a freshman last season. Then some of their best recruits this season, Frank Brown, Jalen John, our running backs. So they lose J.J. Taylor, and we both love J.J. Taylor. You know, glad he ended up in New England in the NFL as an undrafted free agent. Thought he probably could have been drafted. But I'm not worried about Arizona's running back room, in part because I believe in Brightwell, but also just because there's so much quality depth there. Yeah, I mean, to your point, like, I'm looking through the, the list of guys on the roster, and, like, the the guy I'm least excited about is maybe Michael Wiley, and I think he's, like, a solid, you know, guy that can... Control. Third down back, good pass catcher. Yeah, like, he has, he has a role, and he seems like he's a fairly intelligent player, too. Um, you know, so... You, you got to look at this room and feel really good about it. Uh, I think Gary Brightwell is going to have a monster season, personally. Um, I just, I, I think he's going to be a perfect complement to the Mazzoni offense with, when you have a competent passing quarterback. Uh, and I think he's going to get a little bit more passes in the checkdowns as well. Mm-hmm. And Nathan Tilford, you know, I mean, you say out of nowhere, I think he's one, one of our highest rated running back commits ever. But I'm saying, like, quietly, in a bad season, he had 228 yards and 37 carries, four touchdowns. Yeah, and the, I mean, if you read between the lines, and it's gone across a couple of coaching staffs, the reason Tilford probably hasn't gotten the field is the the, the most obvious it means they don't trust him in pass blocking. Mm Mm-hmm. Understand how to where the blitz Cunningham, the man in motion there. Right, well, again, big hole. This time but he makes a man miss, and he's going up O-line the sideline. If the O line is as competent as we think they will be, does that enable him to get on the field more? Because you're not as worried about him having to, you know, help in those pass protecting situations as much. You know, helping cover for tackles getting beat. Right. You know what's funny is Tilford. You look at him; he's the big back. Right. He's a short yardage guy. He is one inch taller and three pounds lighter than Gary Brightwell. Brightwell's listed at 6'1", 210, and Tilford is 6'2", 207. So Brightwell's actually like a bigger player. Oh, Brightwell, I bluntly think, was underutilized last year. As much as I love J.J. Taylor, I think Brightwell almost always performed incredibly well when he was given the opportunities. Yeah, but... Uh, and I think he's just—I think he's going to blow up this year. But my my main point there is like Brightwell has the look of a number one back. Tilford looks like he's figured out that role. Like he's definitely underwhelmed based on his recruiting status. But I mean, credit to him for sticking with it, right? He could have easily transferred to get more snaps, more reps somewhere else. But he stuck with it in Tucson. And like as a running back, whenever he leaves school, he'll get a look somewhere. He'll end up in some camp just because he's a running back. He has the size. You know, someone will take a chance on him and say, oh, maybe you could fit in this role. And who knows? It could still happen at Arizona in a way because he's going to get some carries next season. You know, Bam Smith had 34 carries last season, a touchdown. He's kind of not really thought of that because he's just, yeah, he's just there. He's good. You know, he could catch the ball out of the backfield too. He's a useful running back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Bam Smith and Michael Wiley to me are kind of, they're, they're they're similar in terms of the sense that I think they're both reliable, smart, consistent, and you know valuable if not you know stars, right? Yeah. Like you can you can have them go get 10, 15 snaps a game with you know maybe five touches, and they're not that you know they'll they, again, it goes back to like we talked about receivers. They're a threat when they're on the field. They may not be somebody people have to game plan for, but they're not somebody people can ignore. Yeah. And But that even doesn't – we mentioned the freshman Frank Brown and Jalen John. Those are two of Arizona's better recruits this season, better commits in this class. Frank Brown had – he was had offers from Michigan State, from Baylor, from Arkansas, Boise State. So this was a guy that people wanted. He's listed as an athlete, but I believe they're looking at him as a running back. But he's also just a type of guy you just – if he's as good as advertised, you find a you just find a way to get him on the field. Maybe as a kick returner too, on some third downs, maybe line up at receiver at times. Just because he's that electric with the ball in his hands, you put the ball in his hands. And Jalen John too was a, a three star recruit. Came he's coming in now. Had offers from or interest from BYU, Nebraska, Oregon. So for some reason, like it may just there's a lot of good running backs in college football. 
But Arizona's had no problem getting running back talent in. For a while now, Arizona's had good running backs. And there's part of the system. And what's going to be interesting is to see the Nolan Mazzoni offense without Khalil Tate. With Grant Cannell, is it you're not going to have as many zone reads, you know? It's not going to be as many quarterback runs, but you might have more dump offs from Gunnell that you weren't getting from Khalil Tate. So these guys are going to have to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield because if that's what you do, like if you can catch the ball out of the backfield, run a good route, get open, you're going to get some ball. You're going to get the ball in your hands at times because they're going to run the ball a lot. It's a it's an offense. This is they want to run the ball, but Grant Cannell is more likely to dump the ball off to these running backs and let them make plays that way. And when you have a Frank Brown or a Jalen John or a Brightwell, or a Wiley, or a Bam Smith, or even a Tilford. He can catch the ball a little bit, too. These guys are going to have plenty of opportunity. And it's like you were saying with the offensive line, there's a lot of experience there. There's a lot of reason to be like, hey, you know what? This could work with that offensive line. The running game should just blow up. And I do think, like you said, I agree, Brightwell will be the biggest beneficiary. He'll be the number one back to start the season. But does that mean 15 carries a game? Maybe. Because I can't see it being 20, 25. You know, just because they have so many other guys who you could warrant giving the ball to. Like, even if it's, a, if it's a blowout, let Tilford, let Smith, let Wiley get some carries, right? You don't need to put all the wear and tear on Brightwell. But I look at this running back room and see so many skill sets. I see big running backs. I see the fast running backs. I see guys who can catch the ball in the backfield. There's veterans. There's true freshmen. It's like they're building a really good run. They've built a really good running back room. And I guess running backs one of those positions like Samaji Grant. Ended up playing running back, right? A few years ago when everyone was hurt, and it's like he was fine. I think he ran for like a couple hundred yards against ASU in that game. It's like, why did that even happen? Loved it. It made no sense. So running back is one of those positions. The reason why the NFL undervalued it for so many years, because they figure you could plug anyone in there. And to some extent, that's probably still true. But if you have talent back there, if you have speed, if you have pass-catching ability, guys who can read their blocks and be patient, and Brightwell has that type of running back especially, then you're going to have success. So I'm not worried about this running back room at all yeah you got to feel pretty good about it and you were talking about catching passes i mean that's literally a strength for most of them yeah maybe tilford at least but he can catch some passes and when you were talking about that i was just thinking about putting him in there on uh and doing like a a, a, a center screen to tilford behind this o-line <laughs> go by and then just dump it to tilford and have five o-linemen in front of tilford and just try to run through. Well, for what it's worth, Tilford has one career catch for four yards last season. So he's, it's not a prevalent statistic for him. <laughs> but we all watched Arizona last season. Running backs were not really a big part of the passing game. I mean, even J.J. Taylor had 30. I mean, he had 32 catches. That, <laughs> and that's J.J. Taylor. You want the ball in his hands as much as you can get it to him, and he only had 32 catches. Well, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with Tilford not being a I'm inferring that he's not a good pass blocker. I mean, he's usually not passing downs, which also means he's usually not mm-hmm. going to cast passes. And I think the coaching staff would love to have him be, you know, competent as a pass blocker so that he could be in there on those passing downs. Because otherwise, like right now, if Tilford goes in there, it's, you know, it's not a 50-50 chance of a run versus pass. It's like 80-20 they're running the ball. But that does set you up, too, at times. Like if it's a short yard situation, you bring him in, and there's that thought, yeah. oh, they're going to hand it off. He's going to go up the middle. Little play action. It's going to be a different offense with Grant Cannell. And even if it's the same offense, it's going to look different because of the guy who's running it. You know, you're going to see instead of run back 15 yards to avoid a sack and then run out of bounds, it's going to be dump it off to the running back. A couple of reads, not there, dump it off. Keep the ball moving. So there's going to be more opportunity for these running backs. And you feel like that's probably why Arizona's not only loading up on these guys, but also able to acquire them because they know there's going to be opportunity to touch the ball in this offense. And, you know, no J.J. Taylor. They're going to miss him, but not in the way, like, not in that they're not going to get production from that position, but more in this, like, J.J. Taylor was absolutely a joy to watch. You know, what he did, what he accomplished as a Wildcats, a shame he dealt with injuries last season because what he was the year before and really from his freshman year, <laughs> when he had that spin against Hawaii, I think is what it was. We just spun around him, and, like, and I think he got hurt against Washington like the week after. But J.J. Taylor was a great Wildcat. We all have nothing but appreciation for him. But as far as death behind him, what's left and what's come into the fold, into the program, Arizona looks to be pretty loaded there. I don't know where their running back room ranks across the country, and I'm sure they don't have the star power. They don't have like the five stars and the four stars making up that running back room. But I have a feeling when it's all said and done, their running back room is going to be about as good as anyone's in terms of production. Yeah, I, 
you know, they've had good success over the, the last several years in the Pac-12 in terms of rushing yardage in comparison to other teams. I think they've led it most of the last several years. I I think that's going to continue, or there's a very good chance of that continuing based mm-hmm. on the position groups we've talked about tonight. So, so yeah, I, that's another position, couple position groups, Brett, that make us sound like Arizona's going to be really good this season. <laughs> well, we... That, that covers the office, right? We've done quarterbacks, we've done receivers, we've done tight ends, we've done running backs and offensive lines. So now we're going to get to the defense to finish it off next week, and that's where it all falls apart, I think. So, Well, I mean, we already talked about the safeties. <laughs> yeah, but we haven't talked about the defensive line and the linebackers. That'll be next week, because I think those are our only spots that are left. Yeah, and I think, I think the linebackers are going to be the interesting one, because there's... There's the top-line talent, and then there's question marks. <laughs> yeah. One little bit of news that came out. Kevin Sumlin dropped in CBS's annual coach rankings. He's number 53 out of number 65 out of 65 FBS Power Conference coaches. Well, to show you, to show you how uh, – have you looked at what it was when he was at Houston? He was probably like a top-ten coach in the, <laughs> that same ranking that season. Um Most rankings are pointless and BS and just things to yell about. That would be one of them. <laughs> but when you win four games and won, what, five the year before? You know. Yeah. Like he's 9-15 and 15 over two seasons. One note in this AC Desert Swarm article, Arizona hasn't had three straight losing records since, 2000, since they did it six years in a row, 2000 to 2006. So, number one, that encapsulated my entire college time. I was 2002 to 2006. So, terrific. I think it was like they won 12 games in my four years, so that's awesome. Like 12 entire games in my four years. But also since then, Arizona's been a fairly respectable, if not good, football program, which, again, Arizona, most people think, I think the overrunners at like five games, five wins for them this season, or five and a half in that range. Like people aren't expecting much of them, but we're going over this roster, and, well, we're not going to look at it like we're not comparing them to other Pac-12 rosters. Just in a vacuum, they're not horrible given the positions we've talked about so far. Yeah. I th- and I, it's what we talked about. Like, the difference between a four-win team and a seven- or eight-win team in this Pac-12 I don't think is that much. I don't, you know, I think the four wins last year were, there were several games last year that they could have won. And then, you know, if they have five or six games that they win, is the narrative that, is it fundamentally different? Maybe. You know, if that ASU game two years ago does get blown does the narrative change for both teams that trajectory absolutely it does <laughs> so it's it's but it's a results-based business and you know what matters is wins and losses at the end of the day so for kevin someone and company you know i think i think that they've you know we've talked about the plan there you can see the plan this is what we talked about when we said that like maybe it is right to trust the process a little bit if you're building it the right way with depth and as we go through these position groups you know, it's. I I find myself being like, wait, why why is this team that low rated? Because <laughs> like, you can you can see that there's actual depth, which is to me that's the big difference that it has was not there the last two years. No, and again, it's all in a vacuum, right? This is yeah. still a Pac-12 program, and if we were comparing their roster to say Oregon's or USC's, and uh, Washington's, Utah's, although Utah's supposed to take a step back this season, but. Like, we're not comparing them to these other parts. We're just comparing them to Arizona and what we think of them. So, I guess Arizona versus Arizona, one of them is going to look pretty good. Right? <laughs> but that, that's... You say that. <laughs> but so All, that, that's all the offensive linemen fall into the, all the defensive linemen, and they all tear their ACLs. <laughs> so maybe that's why it's better off that they, they didn't have to finish camp this, season, this year. They, all the injuries that would have come from that. But, no, nah, that's... We got a couple position groups left. We'll tackle those next week. And otherwise, I think that's going to wrap up this week's show. I don't think there's really anything else to go over, Brett, unless you think there is. No, I think, uh, you know, tell your friends to subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy it. Send us some ideas if you want stuff to talk about. We're going to run out of roster depth chart discussion <laughs> points here. Uh, maybe me and Adam might try to try to get some uh, some intriguing guests in the future. We'll work on that, but if you guys have any ideas, like Brett was saying, you can tweet us at Wildcat Radio AZ. That's the station Twitter handle. You can listen to us on all the different podcast places. Pretty much if you can find a podcast there, you can find Wildcat Radio 2.0 on there. 
Uh, Bryant and the guys have been doing the play-by-plays. The most recent was Arizona versus Syracuse in 1988. So they're just having fun with these games, these great games, some really good Arizona teams just kind of doing a play-by-play. And I guess I've never been a play-by-play guy other than like I'd play Madden and do my own play-by-play, you know, and the games I was doing, which makes it easier when you kind of know what's coming. When you know what play you're running, you can call your game a lot easier. These guys, I mean, I don't know if I don't remember watching that game in 1988. I was five. So I'm sure I didn't watch that game. So I'd be watching this and calling the action, seeing it all for the first time. But it's interesting. It's a good perspective. At least when you look at it back this, you know, from 30 years later or when it was like the Gonzaga game from earlier in the 2000s or whatever. It's like it's a fun listen. So tune into those, too, when you're not listening to our show. Yeah, fill that, that gaping hole in your soul that sports usually fill. <laughs> but otherwise, thank you for listening. Everyone, stay healthy, stay safe. We know there's a lot going on in the world these days. And we appreciate you all listening and want you to be able to keep listening. We all want to be there for when there is good times for Arizona football and basketball. We want to all be able to enjoy it together. So, again, thanks for listening. And as always, remember to bear down. Bear down.